Digify Africa Unplugged Conversations. So welcome to the Digify Africa Pro Unplugged sessions. This is our second installment of these conversations. Um, we usually bring on notable young people within the digital space to share their stories and share their experiences within the digital space, whether it's marketing, whether it's creating or just behind the scenes, you know, with the market and big brands. Um, today's conversation is looking at representation within the digital content creation space. Uh, we are trying to figure out whether is are we at a place where a lot of work has been done or do we still need to do a, a bit more um, to ensure that representation is a true reflection of our society in all facets, whether of, of media, whether it's marketing, whether it's online, um, public discourse, or just popular culture at large. Um, you, I think globally, South Africa and the continent actually has quite an interesting history around particularly the LBGTIQ community. I mean, from the 1990 first um, parade, Pride Parade in Joburg up until now, I can't lie and say that a lot hasn't happened between that time, but I, I do think there can be there can be more implementation of our policies um, just to ensure that queer people and the queer community is well taken care of. You know, um, I think on the continent at large, more than South Africa. Um, so today's conversation, as I said, we're going to sort of zoom down into digital content creation and sort of speak on how that particular space and that particular um, cohort has looked like so far. And I always, and I think people are going to be so bored of me always going back to this, but I always say for me, um, 2014 really was the year where I sort of saw an emerging of um, content creation in particularly the country. And I can, I think I, I, when I think of 2014, I think of your Tony Booms, I think of your Sibum Banzas, I think of your Trevor Stiermans, who were really sort of um, challenging how content creation looks like outside of the traditional media. And I think that cohort sort of set precedence of how, you know, online media and online um, creating, creating is, was going to look like for the country. I am joined by Lelo, who is, as I mentioned to them before we had this, we started the conversation that everyone here at Digital Africa loves him. Um, they've been doing so much work just in terms of representation and also just staying true to themselves um, with their experiences and sharing that on their platform. And I think that's quite important. And that's why I felt that I needed to bring them um, onto this platform to share some of their experiences and also their views in, in terms of where are we as a country and as a continent on the digital space. Now, before I get into it, Lelo, um, so the year is, I think the year is 2013, if not 14. I'm always sort of lost there. And I stumble upon this interesting person on Facebook and they have blue-green hair. And at the time, I'm just like... Okay, Amber Rose had blue-green hair and I was crazy about their hair color. So I didn't know, I was like, there's someone in the country who even dared to have this kind of hair color. So at that point, I'm just like, okay, this person here really knows what's going on. Let me just follow because clearly they know what's going on. Um, from that time up until today, did you ever think that you would become as big as you've sort of grown in the digital space? Um. 
I don't, I, it's actually, <laughs> I'm actually kind of surprised <laughs> to remember that because I don't even remember that. It was such a long time ago. Um, no, I've, I had no idea. I had no idea that I would have um, sort of built myself uh, to be the sort of like um, brand name or like household name in terms of just like uh, within the creative scene. Um, I I really was just working towards um <laughs> just doing what I love you know what I mean which is the writing which is the you know being within advertising and just trying to like you know do all that sort of like amazing fun work for myself um I had no idea I think I think everything has a, a purpose and I'm here today because of that and the reason why I always remember that it's purely because I was so jealous I wanted to do that and my mom looked at me like um we need to <laughs> relax because that's not what we're doing today and as I mentioned um so if you look at our history there's just been so much that has happened um you know within the queer community you know from acts being um you know discontinued from legislation you know right into you know democratic South Africa and where we saw you know our constitution sort of empowering LGBTIQ community and creating all of these um policies that are really there to ensure that we're like the queer community sort of integrated into society in a, and I hate to use the word, but a normal way, for lack of a better word. And normal in itself needs to be something that's revisited when we talk about marginalized communities. Uh, And just in terms of the digital space, from your sort of expert um, perspective, where are we in terms of representation? When you sort of look back from the explosion of, you know, online sort of creative sort of growing within the space to where we are right now, you know, has there been changes? Are there new players in the game? Um, is, the, is the space more progressive in terms of thinking? I think, I think um, from the period which you just dated now to where we are now, I think we have sort of seen a huge growth uh, in terms of like um, digital media representation of queer bodies, of um, femme identity within these spaces as well, or different types of individuals who are playing in the space. I think um, it would be wrong to say that there hasn't been any sort of representation. There definitely has. And if I look back at... um, the early days of, um, I don't know if you still remember Selima Matunzi um, or like the front pages of like, um, what are those new things again? It was like, you know, those tabloids, um, like Daily Sun and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we had people like Trisam and Sumizi and, uh, you know, people of that sort who were playing in that space. And um, I think even then, that was representation for our community because it was um, in mass media. I don't think in South Africa, people were um, used to seeing queer bodies in that way, living loudly and proudly and, you know, being who they are. Um, So I think that was like fantastic representation. Was it good representation? Not all the time, not a hundred percent. I think it could have been better. Um, There were, uh, you know, hints of homophobia or just like not using the correct uh, language or terms, which is now being redefined into, you know, what we are and um, how we look at things now. And that is sort of like uh, changing in terms of like progress you know what I mean? Um, and we all are learning every single day about our community 
and uh, how to properly represent, uh, how to properly, um, you know, give people representation. So yeah, I think I think it's we we have come a long way. I think we still have so much more to do, and by so much more, I feel like uh, I'm just saying we need to be including much more people into um, brand strategies. Um, you know, just like even like just simple things like adverts and stuff like that and making sure that all those people feel representat uh, representation in like in those sort of like spaces. So I think, yeah, it goes without saying. I like that you mentioned, because I think when you talk about brand strategies, that's more of the behind the scenes and that's more of who gets to tell the story. Um, and I think most of the times when we're having conversations around representation, we're looking at the faces and not necessarily who is actually telling the story. And I'm currently watching a documentary that was sort of documenting, you know, queer people within um, television. And some of the arguments that were coming up there was that the people who were telling the stories were sort of sometimes... Um, playing at very problematic stereotypes, um, you know, queer people were used as sort of um, as as sort of like a humor um, mechanism, as opposed to actually telling stories about you know queer lives at a very nuanced level. Um, because you will have a queer person who plays basketball who's not necessarily feminine, um, and no one is really talking about what does that mean for a masculine queer person who's within a very hyper-masculine space, how do they operate within that space? And I think those we're not seeing those kind of stories. And at the same time, there's more to, yes, there are queer people who love fashion, who are very, you know, well in tune with their feminine side. And that's great that that gets to be shown, but is that, is that the full spectrum of what queerness looks like? And so I think when you talk about brand strategy, which brings me to my next point of, the importance of then bringing in people who actually have lived, um, you know, within or have experiences of, you know, uh, I guess the queer community. Let's talk about the importance of then having the, the, those kind of people telling those stories. Do you think that it becomes then important to have the people who are making the decisions um, be queer or at least, I don't, I don't want to say queer friendly, but... Uh, for some reason, I just want them to be queer. Like, I, I think for me, in my mind, I'm thinking if you're going to tell a certain story, and this has been, you know, sort of argued that do we really need, for instance, in, for Black women, do we need a Black woman to sort of write a script for a Black woman or can a white woman write a script that speaks to a Black woman character? So for me, in your view, would you say when we're talking queer representation, especially within the digital space and we're talking about big campaigns, is it important to have a queer person on that table, in that table. I think it's it's very important to have queer people in the room, or if not, um, if you know, if it's unfortunate enough that you don't have a queer person in that room, I think it's very important to at least have someone who is educated enough to sort of like make those informed decisions, but also make it your business to consult. You know, there's, it, it, it wouldn't hurt you or anyone else to actually ask questions because I feel like a lot of the times people are afraid to ask and they never know exactly what to do um, or what to say. So they sort of just like panic and um, go into their own sort of like, you know, thing and it ends up being the wrong thing to do. You know what I mean? So I think in that sense, it's definitely important to, number one, 
actually just have pro people in the room. You know what I mean? Um, include people um, no matter what. I think it's very important, especially if you're going to be speaking about those types of stories. I think um, that's where the process should be uh, begin. And again, still on, you know, the, the the brands, I liked the fact that, you know, the Levi Pride campaign came through and also the Nike Be True collection, which sort of recognized um, the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall um, uprising. And I believe you were also part of those two campaigns. Um, talk to me about what was the experience and what was the journey of you working with those brands, particularly sort of, them wanting to empower and celebrate um, the LGBTIQ community. Uh, sorry, you cut off there. Which uh, two brands are these again? Oh, sorry. So I, I was just sort of giving a rundown of the Levi Pride campaign and the Nike Be True collection. Um, so I just wanted to find out from you, what was your experience sort of, because obviously we saw it was great work. You were sort of in the in the forefront, but like, more interested in some of your experiences from behind the scenes in working with those brands um how did that look like um it was it was absolutely amazing you know i was i was really impressed with how they um approached everything and i think from both brands they they had a huge part in people who were educated enough and who were sensitive enough around these types of issues um, there were queer people who were working on those particular projects as well. Um, I know for Levi's, um, I was approached by uh, Megan Daniels, who was shooting Manila um, Vantes, um, and she was particularly super sensitive in terms of like how she wants to tell the story and who we should include and stuff like that. And when she brought me on board, you know, she sort of just like told me why this is like really important. And I think we went about it in such a way that is so authentic to our community that also paints the right story and picture with that as well. And um, with Nike, um, I think I was fortunate enough in that sense to also be uh, part of that um even in that team are like they're so passionate about like inclusivity and uh making sure that they are always doing you know the right thing in terms of like being super conscious enough about you know what they what they're trying to say and what they're trying to communicate and you know it's brands like that that are that are really uh progressive enough to uh be forward thinking um to 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 be inclusive enough um, to bring about like members of the community of, you know, what they're trying to sell as well. So I think, I think kudos to them for, for that. It was, it was a really good experience. Um, yeah. And, and just now when I look back and I, and I think to myself, it's in those moments that are so powerful that I think they also resonate with someone sitting at home, wondering if it's possible for me um, to be in a platform and for a big brand like that to approach me. Um, and I think that's where also this conversation sort of comes in because in that, in, that, in that line of work, representation does become important because when you do see someone looking like, who looks like you in a big platform like that or, or representing a big, a big platform like that, you're also then empowered to believe that it's possible. Did you make an intentional decision to say you want to sort of be bold in 
representing you know queer stories and um, just representing the queer community in this in, in in whatever space that you are going to take up did you make an intentional decision to say when I walk into the room the one thing that I want to be known is that I am going to represent the community so that's the one thing that we just need to get out of the table before we even talk about any other thing else going forward um I think it was definitely an unconscious decision uh, I never really planned for it. I think what brought about it was um, my being vocal, especially on Twitter. Um, I, you know, and also just like learning more about myself and my identity and, you know, being comfortable with, you know, who I am. I think that brought about my voice and how I could use that and how I could use my platform as well to sort of like um, change the narrative. And I knew I was a great writer as well. So I thought, okay, well, I'm not seeing enough queer stories that are being written about, you know, whether it's like an individual or like a particular event or whatever sort of thing that is going on in the country or the city. Um, so I felt that it only felt right that I use my voice and what I'm, you know, gifted with to actually use it as, you know, as a as a good thing, as a tool, you know. Sure. Um and then I think over time, it sort of became like a, a, a very conscious decision to make a point that, okay, cool, I, I have to speak about this. I don't actually, it doesn't have to be all the time, but, yeah. um, you know, people people know me as that as well. And yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that I really regret the, that decision. But yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been really great. Mm. And for you, just from observing... Um, do you think that at this point, just now from a, never mind, I, I would say micro influences, but just at a bigger, on bigger platforms, is there diversity in, in the big platforms outside of, because also diversity, I've, I've also noted that sometimes can be inauthentic. It can just be because you want clicks and not necessarily because you are actually authentic and you are interested in telling one stories about those marginalized communities, whether it's Black women, whether it's the LGBTIQ community. So when I say diversity in this particular context, I'm talking about really, um, as you mentioned with the previous two brands that we were talking about, that authenticity in terms of approach and sensitivity in trying to understand the experiences. Do you think that, you know, these big brands, or at least on, a, on bigger platforms, are we there or are we seeing that? I think we're sort of getting there. It's, I mean, it's obviously not enough, you know, and, you know, the powers that be, um, you know, can be very cis, heterosexual and white and, uh, you know, and racist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can go all day about it. Um, but I think there is sort of like... Um, uh, a change in the winds and the way that we're speaking about things and the way that things are going. Um, people, everyone now has a voice uh, through social media, through Instagram, through Twitter, through Facebook. Um, and I think we all need to be really responsible with that and saying that we need to be responsible with our voices. Um, but yeah, I think, I think people do call for accountability and uh, brands are seeing that and that's what they're trying to do now um, they're trying to be accountable they're trying to be more inclusive um, but we'll get there one day um, just not now um, we're not seeing as much as we can but um, should we should we be happy with that 
I don't know. Maybe I'm on the fence with that as well. Um, mm. But I think I think we still do have a long way to go, especially in South Africa. We're still a pretty young country. Um, we can't. I don't think we can expect everything to happen like overnight. Um, we still have a lot of things that we need to fix. Um, so yeah, but we'll get there absolutely. Yeah. And then in terms of them getting to sit at the table and you know decide that I want I'm going to be intentional and I want to sort of work in a manner that represents who I am um, for our alumni or for our participants who are part of our boot camp where obviously they get a lot of training around um, you know getting into the space but if I'm a queer person who's sort of quite very deliberate about the kind of stories that I want to tell, the kind of content that I want to create. How do I do that without jeopardizing the bag? Because also we need to be quite honest. It's quite hard or difficult to have an honest conversation with, you know, an employer about that, um, knowing full and well that there's a possibility of, you know, the, the, the response being not really welcoming. Mm. I don't think there's a, a, a cut and paste approach uh, for this particular situation um, because it would be really hard, especially if um, like, do you have a good relationship with the people that you are with? Um, you know, uh, do you have a direct line to that person that you can speak to in confidence and be like, you know, you know, actually, I don't feel comfortable with A, B and C. Um, how can we try it in, uh, you know, C and D? You know what I mean? Um, you know, and just like put forward your suggestions. Um, I don't think it would hurt to um, sort of like, uh, you know, bring that about and see how it would go. Uh, but, you know, there will be those people who will like push back and be like, mm, A, you're still young or you're a junior or you don't know what you're speaking about. Uh, so don't come here and tell us what to do. Or you'll find that some people will actually listen to your advice and be like, mm, actually, you have a point. You know what I mean? So I think it is, it depends on what kind of people that you are working with to sort of like take those suggestions. Um, but I would say that <laughs> don't push back, just actually speak your truth, especially when you sure. see that this is not right and there should be a better way to do this. I think that... Um, yeah, people should definitely just go about doing that. Mm, mm. And also then um, just with creating um, within the digital space. And I was talking to Apuya Kambule, who's a micro-influencer um, in the beauty and lifestyle side of things. And we were just talking about, you know, entering the space and a lot of people, there's, there's also similarities in content creation, right? Um, and sometimes it can be saturated with one thing. I mean, there was a point where everyone was doing skin and, you know, makeup. And then there was a point then the, the rise of, you know, natural hair and all of, you know, the sort of popular, um, I guess, um, content angles um, online. At what point do, do you as maybe as a, as a digital creative, um, you know, reconcile with the fact that not everything that you're going to come up is going to be unique, um, right? how do you then sort of navigate the space in ensuring that even though everyone else is doing it, it's not the same? I'm not, I'm not sure if you're catching me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understand what you're trying to say. Um, yes, 
nothing is new under the sun, right? We've all, like everyone has done what we have been doing, absolutely. And I think the trick is here is to actually um, be unique. And by saying unique, it can be a little bit fuzzy, but, um, and I know that we say this all the time and, you know, and people have heard this phrase like so many times and it might be a little bit cliche, um, but no one has what you have, which is your unique self, your personality, um, how you think, um, how you can do certain things in different ways, um, even though it might be, you know, the same idea or theme or topic or whatever that might be. Uh, but we all, we all have unique ways in which we can go about doing certain things. So I think um, absolutely just follow your gut instinct and you will be a-okay. I think there's nothing wrong with um, staying true to who you are uh, because that's what I've literally done. I've, I've literally remained as authentic as I can to myself in my work, what I do, what I say, um, and no one else can replicate that no matter how hard they try. So, yeah. Mm. What do you think international and by international, I'll, I'll sort of say maybe, you know, America, the UK, um, digital queer creatives could learn from African cre- queer creators, digital creators at that. Um, you know, I do want to say that we're, I think, I think they have a, a pretty uh, misconception about us, uh, that we might be all the same or, you know, whatever, you know, they might have like learned about like African creatives. Um we are we are like progressive and unique and beautiful and uh and super talented and i think that uh people outside of our regions should actually take time to learn more about us and our culture and what we have to offer and um yeah i think Mm -hmm. i think we we have so much more to offer than what people perceive us as Sure, sure. And lastly, then, what would you say to, you know, traditional marketing spaces that are sort of coming into the digital space and sort of um, tapping into the different, I guess, um, communities and the different stories that exist online, just going forward and creating a much more nuanced and a much more, I guess, um, authentic um, creating space? What would you say to, you know, those brands um, in terms of now hiring and going forward with using those different voices online? Mm. I, I would say that please remain authentic and always be inclusive uh, in your approach from start to finish. Um, always be agile, always be ready to learn. Um, I think that our market and our scene and our industry is changing every single day. I think that um, keeping your ear on the ground is super important. Know what people are saying, know what people are, um, you know, are thinking. Um, learn about your market. Don't go into it, you know, uh, blindly. I think that uh, we're all still humans at the end of the day, and we are all learning. And there's nothing wrong with learning. Um, so yeah take that as you as you may and yeah you know I think that just do incredible work you know yeah and for um you know our you know alumni and participants who aren't which would be weird if there's no one familiar with your with your work but I'm just gonna you know assume that there are people who aren't um where can they catch you 
um, on different social media pages? Um, so if you don't know who I am, you can catch me on Instagram and Twitter at Lela What's Good. Um, yeah, that's where you'll find me.